You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3. That will be our reading this morning in connection with our text. And our text will be Psalm 127. Psalm 127 is written by King Solomon, and that's why we read 1 Kings 3 together to read about this very significant event in the life of King Solomon. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father, David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, The Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So your servant, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administrating administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings." And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. Our text this morning is Psalm 127. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. 
They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, where would we be, as this psalm would have us reflect, where would we be if we did not have the help of the Lord? What would we be if God was not on our side? What can we expect for our lives if God, our Heavenly Father, does not determine to bless us? As we look at this psalm this morning, I'd like us to pay attention at the outset and throughout, but not exclusively, of course, to one word. It's one word that really determines the intent, gives a, a big picture or helps us to understand more clearly the picture that this psalm is painting for us. I think also show us the direction in which the Holy Spirit is pointing us as we come to Psalm 127. That word is actually, before the psalm really gets going, it's in the title. It's the word, the name, Solomon. Solomon. Psalm 127 is the only psalm that is recorded as having been written by Solomon. But you can understand what would have motivated him to pen these words probably, it seems most likely, near the beginning of his royal career as he was king over God's people. This psalm is all about building buildings and protecting cities and working and sleeping and the blessing of children. Solomon was a man who had achieved, by the Lord's blessing, great success in all of these areas. He was the Israelite builder par excellence. No one was a builder like Solomon was. His reign was the most peaceful in Israel's history. No one protected a city like Solomon did. He must have been indefatigable. He must have been tireless as he oversaw Jerusalem's golden age. As all of these things were happening, and yet his greatest blessing that he received from the hand of the Lord came to him while he was sleeping. And he, Solomon, of course, the son of David, understood the great blessing of children. And yet... Solomon called on Israel and he calls on all people to place their trust not in him, but in the one who gives all these things, in the Lord, the God of Israel, the maker of heaven and earth, Yahweh, the faithful God who watches over his people. And so the message of Psalm 127 is trust in the Lord who blesses his church. Trust in the Lord who blesses his church. And Solomon, as he urges us, and the Holy Spirit through Solomon urges us to trust in the Lord, he focuses on four parts. He focuses on the center, the house, the center. He focuses on the perimeter, the safety of the church. He focuses on the economy, how things are given, how things operate within the city, within the church. And finally, he focuses on her future. How does God provide for the future of his church? 
trust in the Lord who blesses his church. And first we consider the center, the center point of the church. When you consider the author of this psalm, it has a transforming effect on how you understand both the parts and then therefore also the whole of the psalm. And that's probably most clear with the beginning of verse 1. This first part of verse 1 especially, and maybe the whole verse as well, is well-loved and well-used by God's people as a generic sort of truism. Something that just is true. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. The truism is sort of, unless the Lord helps you in general with things, then whatever you're doing will come to nothing. Some have applied this more specifically to things like school building projects or fundraising drives. Perhaps some of the framers and the developers in our congregation have considered this verse to be their company's motto. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. And that is what this verse is saying. There is a general truth. Of course, if the Lord doesn't bless, we can do nothing on our own. Only with the Lord's blessing can we truly succeed and anything that we do. But we should consider this morning what these words would have meant, first of all, to the man who wrote them, and therefore what they mean more specifically to all of God's people. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Solomon's reign, 20 whole years of Solomon's reign, half of his reign was spent in building houses. Solomon's not just talking about a house that you throw up in a week or a month. He's talking about houses that take 20 years to build. I think when Solomon writes the word house here, he would have us think of two special houses. Solomon took 20 years. He employed over 150,000 people 30,000 of them were Israelites, to build these houses. This was a huge undertaking, something that had never been done before in Israel. What were the two houses that I'm speaking about? One was a house for himself and for the kings who would follow him, the palace. And one was a house for God, the temple. Why were these two buildings so important? You might ask that Solomon would spend 20 years and this huge amount of work and money to build them. Well, it had everything to do with the promises of God. Yes, it was in obedience to the promises of God that Solomon was building these houses. When King David, you may remember 2 Samuel 7, very famous passage. King David determined that he was going to build a house for God. God, through the prophet Nathan, came to him and said, no. No, you are not to build a house for me. Rather, the Lord said, your son will build a house for me. And even more, I will build a house for you. So God had promised David two things. One, his son would build a house. Two, God would build a house for him. And so Solomon comes. And he begins 
to build a house. Solomon, his son, comes, achieves this great wealth and uses it to build a temple for the Lord, a temple where God will be worshipped. And the Lord is faithful to his promise. He puts an heir of David on the throne and Solomon knows that the Lord will continue this dynasty through the generations. And so he builds a house for the king of God's people. So that the great son who was to come on David's throne and rule forever would one day be able to sit on Solomon's throne. And so Solomon, the son of David, he understood that the first line of this psalm, he understood what this, what this meant. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. This wasn't so much Solomon's building project as it was the Lord's building project. That's why Solomon prayed at the dedication of the temple. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his own hand has fulfilled what he promised by his own mouth to my father David. Unless the Lord builds the house, a permanent place of worship in Israel, the temple, and a permanent heir to the throne in the line of David, the man after God's own heart. So important were these promises that Solomon called on God's people and called on us to trust in God to fulfill them. God is the one who needs to build this temple so that it will last. God is the one who needs to build this dynasty so that it will last. The troubling thing about this first verse, however, is that if you know how the life of Solomon went, you know that he ultimately failed in his building projects. He didn't keep his trust focused on the Lord. He called Israel to trust in them, but he himself lost focus and instead turned to worshiping false gods later in his life. And the result of Solomon's unfaithfulness was that half of the kingdom was taken away from him. So that his son would only reign over a part of God's kingdom. And the other result was that the worship of God in the temple was mixed until finally the temple itself was destroyed. Solomon began a tradition of false worship in Israel that they never, ever lost. They never got rid of. The kings who followed him, some came along that were very obedient, very righteous But that tradition of worshiping false gods continued throughout. And their idolatry was so heinous in God's eyes that he even allowed foreign armies to come and destroy his own temple. He allowed the temple to be smashed to the ground as punishment against his idolatrous people. Can you imagine reading this psalm in the wake of that event, the exile? Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. It must have seemed all in vain to Israel at many times, and especially during the exile. Has the Lord built the house? It sure looks like the builders have toiled in vain. But God is faithful to his promises. Solomon may not have been faithful to God, But God is faithful to his promises. The Lord does build the house. The faithful workers do not labor 
in vain. And so many years after Solomon, when it appeared that the house of David had completely fallen flat, when there was nothing left of it, the Lord restored what Amos called the fallen tent. The Lord restored that fallen tent of a house that was the house of David, and he restored an heir to the throne. Jesus Christ, the great son of David, came as fulfillment to the promises given. Jesus Christ, the temple of God, in him would God's people once again commune with the Father. And Jesus Christ, the great son of David, the king who would sit on God's throne forever. In Christ Jesus, this first line of the psalm is fulfilled. The Lord has built up the house in Jesus Christ. All those righteous people who labored in the Lord's covenant for so many years, have not labored in vain. Even after Jesus Christ died, the Lord raised him up to an imperishable life and seated him on an eternal throne at his right hand in heaven. The Lord has built the house. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord has built the house, Jesus Christ is our temple. And Jesus Christ is the heir of David. He has fulfilled God's promises and he is the guarantee that our trust in God, our trust in the Lord that Solomon called the people to is never, ever in vain. And so Jesus Christ is the center of his people's worship and their guarantee and the guarantee of our trust in God. Now we come to the safety of the Jerusalem or her perimeter. The psalm continues, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. Well, through his building projects, Solomon had built Jerusalem into a world-class city. One whose splendor impressed kings and queens from around the world. And in addition to the palace and temple, as we read in 1 Kings 3, Solomon also built up the walls around Jerusalem. He extended her borders and he built up the walls to make it a virtually impregnable fortress. This was a safe city. Clearly, In the time of Solomon, the blessing of God was being poured down upon the city of David. It was safe and secure. It was the center of worship in the land. The temple was there, this new and beautiful temple. No wonder that Jerusalem was called the joy of the whole earth, as the pilgrims would sing in Psalm 122. And no wonder that the sons of Korah could write, God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. God made Jerusalem his resting place and he blessed her immensely. But just as with the house, even Solomon's great building projects, even that restored and built up wall could not protect Jerusalem from her enemies when Solomon did not trust in the Lord. Even as he was building these great monuments and securing the walls, he was in fact bringing in the enemies of God through the back door. He was bringing in the enemy through the form of his foreign wives and their false gods. First on Solomon's part, there was toleration of these gods. Then there was participation. And then there was full out adoration. Solomon worshipped 
false gods. And he did. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. And at the end of Solomon's life, how vain it must have all seemed to think that you could secure a city by just building bigger walls. But God is faithful. In time, his people returned to Jerusalem after those walls were ripped down as punishment against God's people for their idolatry. His people returned to Jerusalem. And after many more years, God himself returned to Jerusalem. But God didn't come in a cloud. He didn't come in a pillar. He came in human flesh. Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem to the cries of Hosanna, glory to the son of David. And it all seems so wonderful. Here comes the king who will sit on the throne. But then mere days later, he left Jerusalem once again, this time carrying a cross on his back, the cross of guilt and shame. Jerusalem itself had rejected God in the flesh. Had the watchman stood guard in vain. But God is faithful. God is faithful. After Jesus Christ carried that cross and then died to atone for the sins of God's people, God lifted him up into heaven and established him there as the center of a new and a heavenly Jerusalem. A better Jerusalem. And from there he sends his spirit to call men and women to join this city all over the earth. This Jerusalem knows no borders. This Jerusalem needs no walls. But yet this Jerusalem is a place of peace and safety. Like no city that's ever been seen before. The church on earth, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses in heaven, is the city in which God now dwells by his spirit. Here, Jesus Christ himself is our, is our savior and our protector. He is our shield. He is our wall. God watches over this city. And so the watchmen, ever watchful looking for danger, need not stand guard in vain. And so Jesus Christ is the security of his church. Jesus Christ also shows us something about her economy. Now Solomon, this great king, he knew something about working. I'm sure of it. This highlight of Israel's city of which he was the king certainly came about through God's blessing. Yes, it did. But as is often the case, it was the blessing of God making the hard labor of God's people fruitful. Solomon had a workforce of over 150,000 men. Solomon overhauled the governance of, of the land. He wrote new taxation laws and put them in place. He strengthened the army. He built up the cities. He hosted droves of foreign dignitaries. Look at verse 2 of this psalm. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. These are certainly written by a man with an insider's knowledge of what it really means to rise early and to stay up late, toiling away. And yet this too is in vain, is useless without God's blessing. In fact, 
though God would often bless his people as they worked for him, that's not a requirement. God doesn't need his people to work for him. In fact, God's often pleased to give his people blessings in spite of their efforts. Who better to testify to this than Solomon himself? What was the greatest gift that Solomon ever received? What was the reason why all those kings and queens and princes from all over the world flocked to see him? The greatest gift that Solomon ever received from the Lord was wisdom. God gave him this special gift of wisdom, and that's why everyone came to see him. That's why he built up Jerusalem to be so strong and powerful. And God had given uh, given the gift of wisdom to him even as he slept. 1 Kings 3 verse 5, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now this probably does need some explanation. If you're looking at verse 2 and you're thinking, I thought the gift here was sleep. Not that God gives gifts to his people while they sleep. If you look at verse 2 and you see in the NIV there's a footnote there, you'll see what I'm referring to. The footnote reads like this, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For while they sleep, he provides for those he loves. In the original, the translation could go either way. Both are equally valid. However, when you consider the life of Solomon... And you consider what happened, that God gave him this gift of wisdom even while he slept. I'm convinced that the translation in the footnote is a better one for this psalm. The Lord blessed Solomon in his sleep. It was as the world slept that the greatest gift this world has ever seen came into it. Only the shepherds were awake watching their flocks as the eternal son of God became man, born in the line of David. And it was again as the world slept that this son of God, having suffered and died and then was buried in the grave, as the world slept, he arose victorious over the grave. Was anybody working for this? Was anybody laboring while God sent his son into the world to save it? No, they were all sleeping. Do God's people need to work to be worthy of God's love and to be worthy of God's blessing? Do do God's people toil after a glorious inheritance in heaven? Do God's people need to strive for eternal life to gain that gift for adoption as sons, for the gift of the Holy Spirit? No, these are given to us as we rest in Jesus Christ. While we sleep, God gives us these gifts. Even As we sleep, the God who slumbers not secures and protects our rich and glorious inheritance in heaven. Work is a good thing. Sometimes the demands of bosses or clients or family or friends or duty, they call us to burn the midnight oil, to stay up late and then get up early again the next morning. But work can never replace the blessing of God. Work can never replace the blessing of God. If you are toiling to justify your existence, if you're working to earn your blessings from God, if you're trying to appease a taskmaster God by 
your hard labor, then it's all in vain. God is a God who gives his people gifts even while they sleep. He has done it in Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Trust in the God who gives rich blessings even as you rest secure in him. And finally, God also watches over the future of his people. It is very interesting to see Solomon move from the first half to the second half of this psalm. He says that God grants blessings to his loved ones even as they sleep. And then he moves on to the gift of children. One of the greatest evidences and fruits of this truth that God blesses his people while they sleep is it not while husband and wife are sleeping that the miracle of conception occurs? Surely the most wise Solomon also understood this. Solomon says sons are a heritage. Sons are an inheritance from the Lord. An inheritance in Israel, that meant something. The land of Canaan was the gift that God had given to his people. And it was to be carried on throughout the generations. And that land was passed down the line through the sons, through a man's sons. Sons were a provision of God for the future of his people so that they would continue to have land and a name in Israel, the place where God's blessing dwelt. And who to understand this blessing better than Solomon himself? Was he not the one who came in fulfillment to the promise given to David, his father, that he would have a son to reign. And now here he was. Solomon understood the blessing, the inheritance of sons. And so there was something unique about sons for the people of God. And Solomon wrote this. But Solomon makes clear that all children are a blessing and reward. Children are a reward from him. Through sons and daughters, God makes provision for the next generation of his church. Children bring joy in youth, pride in middle age, and support in old. Children are a reward from God. But through children, as Solomon writes this, God's not only providing for the continuance of a, of a name or a family, God is providing for the whole covenant community. God's providing for the whole church. It says in the last verse, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies at the gate. When they join all the other children and fight against the enemies of the city, children are a blessing to the whole community, to the whole society, to the whole church. A man and a woman could multiply their strength and effectiveness through their progeny. Blessed, indeed, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Of course, this is the view of the most wise Solomon. Children are a blessing from God. But certainly not everyone would have believed this. Uh, didn't David's sons, Amnon, Absalom, Adonijah, one raped his daughter, one tried to steal the kingship, and then another one tried to steal the kingship from his father, David. Didn't these children cause David so much grief and hardship in his life? Are these children a drain on his time and resources? 
Aren't children so often the cause of verse 2? In vain you rise early and stay up late. This seems to be the prevailing wisdom of our day. Children are unnecessary. They're a drain on your well-earned resources. Children get in the way of personal fulfillment and life goals. Children cause headaches and anxiety. We're better off without them. And yet consider, how did God's people become such a force in the world? God's people who came essentially from one man. God called Abraham out of Ur. And he had one heir. And then he had one heir. And then Jacob had 12 sons. And then everything exploded. The Israelite women in Egypt were so vigorous and strong that even Pharaoh's death sentence for their children couldn't stop them from giving birth. In short years after the Exodus, uh, sorry, in, after the Exodus, God's people, we read in, in Exodus, became so numerous that they were like sand on the seashore. This from one man. Once they were in the land, they expanded to fill the land and then to build up strong armies to fight against their enemies, especially in the time of David and Solomon. All this was, of course, in accordance with the original command of God to be fruitful and multiply. And multiply they did, and they became strong under God's blessing. As God's people trusted in God and believed that children are a blessing from the Lord, so the Lord built up and strengthened his people and made each successive generation stronger than the last. Children are a blessing from the Lord. And it's as we cease to believe this and to trust in the Lord with this that the church will face decline, weakness, and insecurity. Now, for some of you, this is all very painful to hear. Because you so strongly believe that children are a blessing from the Lord that your inability to conceive causes great heartache and even challenges your faith in God. You know what a blessing children are and that's why it hurts so much. But know this, children are a blessing from the Lord, but they are not the only blessing that the Lord gives. In fact, the greatest blessing that this world has ever seen did come in the form of a child, but it's not your child. It's not any of our children. It was through a special son. Yes, it was in beautiful fulfillment to this psalm. And certainly not unexpected by Solomon, who knew that one day this great heir would come to sit on the throne of his father David, that God delivered the ultimate blessing to the world through the birth of Solomon's son. A man so much greater than Solomon that he's called the king of kings. A man so much richer than Solomon that he holds all the riches of heaven in his right hand. A man so much wiser than Solomon that he is called wisdom from God. As he expanded the territory of God's blessing far beyond, uh, sorry, this son, Jesus Christ, expanded the territories of God's blessing far beyond the borders of Jewish families. So that it was no longer just through the generations of the Israelites and the Jewish people that God would build up his church. Jesus Christ exploded that wide open and the gospel went out to the whole world. 
As the gospel of Jesus Christ goes out into this world, God is calling sons and daughters. God is making sons and daughters for himself by the work of his Holy Spirit from the nations, from the pagans, from the people who formerly did not know God. Yes, the Lord is filling a quiver of sons and daughters from all tribes and nations. He's securing an eternal future for his people. And he's so strengthening his church that nothing can overcome it. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord alone is protecting his church. He is building the house. He is protecting the city. He is pouring out his blessings and securing our future. And so the message is clear. Trust in him. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.